still don't know. They still have not made their decision. They haven't made up their mind if they really believe that God is real, that he's really present in this world, that he had anything to do with creation, that he has anything to do with us as his creation, that, uh, that he has a plan for us or a purpose. I want to share one thing with you. I thought it was very interesting. You know, this past week we were talking about uh, is there a purpose to life? And I came across this, vi- this verse that I've never really paid attention to before. Uh, I believe it was in Leviticus. I can't remember the exact address. But the premise of the verse was this. Go ahead and use the fat of the, the dead animals, those who have been strangled, those who have been mutilated. Use the fat for the, your, the purpose intended, but don't eat it. And as we talked in our small groups Wednesday, I, I, I verbalized it this way. If even the fat of roadkill has a purpose. Don't you think that God has a purpose for our life? You know, the fat of roadkill, it's nothing, but it has an intended purpose. So doesn't God have a purpose for us individually and corporately? I just want you to let that be a foundation for for some of the things we're going to talk about today. I picked this passage in Romans because, one, I believe God told me to pick it. That's a cop-out, right? But also because it has a couple premises here that I think are, are relative to what, we're, what we need to understand. And Paul's writing to the Church of Rome, a church that is very diverse in their theological positions, very, very polytheistic. And he writes this uh, to be a direct rebuttal to that polytheistic mindset. For the gospel, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. That's verse 17. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. But he also goes on in verse 19 to say, The wrath of God is being revealed. From heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So, one of the underlying premises is that uh, premises, premisi, I don't know what he say, but I'm not an English major. But the point is, is that God reveals himself to all of creation. All of us will be at some point in our lives, we'll ask the question, does, does God exist? Is he real? And if he is, then what am I going to do with it, right? But, but to start with, you have to focus on, is God real? Is he really there? And if he is, how do I know? How can I prove it? Well, the proof is, in the scriptures anyway, that he reveals himself to everybody. Foremost in creation. In creation, he reveals himself. If you really pay attention to creation and you dissect it and you analyze it and you focus on it and, and seek answers to the questions of how did this exist? How did this happen? How was this created? Then you're going to have to come back to a place where you say something had to do this. Someone had to put this in order. This did not happen by accident. It's, it's, it's in creation, and God has revealed himself through creation for all of us so that we would ask those questions. If you look in the mirror close enough, you'll want to ask your question, why am I like this? Why do I look like this? You know, what is the purpose of two eyes, a nose, and a mouth, two ears, you know? 
and, and acne, that kind of thing. What's the purpose? But God reveals himself. We just need to understand God reveals himself. Why would a God who loves his creation not reveal himself to creation? Why would the God who created us in his image and likeness as a duplicate of himself, and, and why would he create us and then separate himself saying, I hope you all figure it out. God is going to reveal himself to us. And one of the ways he does it is through scripture. Another way he does it is through creation. I got those backwards. Another way he does it is through our testimony, through a witness to one another. But God is revealing himself all times. And, and this is the interesting part. He's not just revealing his good qualities or his, his good attributes or his pleasant attributes. He reveals his righteousness and he reveals his wrath to us because he wants to reveal the true essence of who he is, that he is all good, he is all powerful, all loving, but yet he also has a side that requires judgment for those who violate the holiness. This is the, the whole picture of who he is. You know, when you go on a blind date, hopefully you've learned that if you want to impress the person you're with, that you'll only reveal your good qualities, right? I remember the uh, first time I talked to Paige on the phone, and uh, one of the first things I said to her was, here's my sins. Because I wanted to know up front if I'm wasting my time or not, right? We've done that. And if you just start dating somebody for six months, and they say, okay, by the way, here's my, my dirt. Then you've wasted six months, right, if they decide to just throw you under the bus. So I just figured this makes sense to me. I'm just going to air all my dirty laundry and say, here it is. Take it or leave it. And the byproduct is she took it. I don't understand it, but that's what it is. But God does that. He, he reveals the whole package, but he reveals it. Now, 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 this is where it gets interesting. In verse 18, since what may be known about God is plain to them. Now, in this regard, he's talking about those who are living in wickedness. Since what, be made, what may be known about God is plain to the wicked. Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, the eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. This is the age-old question everybody asks. What about those people that don't know the Lord? What's going to happen to them? What's going to happen to those who've never heard about Jesus, never been exposed to, to uh, heavenly principles? Well, this, this should speak very hugely to that. He has made it known to them through creation, through the life of Christ, through the life of his servants, his, 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 his believers, his disciples, his children, through us, through the scriptures, through all these various means, he has revealed himself to them so that it is plain to them. And therefore, they are all without excuse. But what happens is, is that we, we get twisted in our thinking because there is an adversary, there is a devil in this world, and the devil likes to confuse us. He likes to take a little bit of the good, twist it with a little bit of bad, and completely throw us off our game, right? He is so good at that. And later I'm going to tell you something that one of the other things that he does that just really destroys, uh, maybe not completely destroys because God's bigger than he is, but thwarts some of the plans uh, of his kingdom. 
It says in 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. You see, the basic thing is this. If you really want to know if God is real, if God is there, if he is who the Bible says he is, if you really want to know if he has a plan for your life, the only way you're going to be able to figure this out is if you yield to God. And I've used this a couple times in the last week or so with various people, but the imagery is just so real to me. If I were to go out into a river with a, with a very quick current, I could probably stand firm and position myself just right to where the current has no physical effect on me. I could stand and resist the current and not be affected by it. But if I wanted to be affected by it, I would have to position myself just right and relax myself just right and yield myself to the current. And if I do that adequately, the current will actually lift me up and carry me downstream. God, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit can only do what you yield it to do, what you yield to it. If you don't believe in God, it's because you haven't yielded to this constant bombardment of revelation, to this constant bombardment of, re- of, uh, of, of creation, of grace, of love, if you, don't, if you don't have the hope in, in, in your salvation in Jesus, then it's because you haven't yielded to the death on the cross and the resurrection and the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Yielding is everything. Yielding is everything. You know, I've, I've asked the question many times. I've told you about this many times. If you read through Ephesians, it'll give you the answer to this. But the question is, how are you different from the devil? And you will say, well, I have faith in God. I believe in God. Well, the devil believes in God. And contrary to most of us, the devil shudders at the name of Jesus. We use it as a curse word. But the devil is intimidated when the name of Jesus is mentioned. The devil believes in God, knows God, has spoken to God, and has not yielded to God. That's the difference. And so if we want to be different from the devil world, the demonic world, then we have to yield to God. Let him have his way in us and through us for the sake of those who still are perishing. Yielding is absolutely everything. And and the contrast to that is stubbornness. Stubbornness. People who say there is no God don't want there to be a God. And so they're stubborn about it. They don't look for signs. They don't look for manifestations of God's power and glory. They just resist everything. That's why it is almost just practically a waste of time to get in an argument with them about whether or not God exists. Just don't do it. Don't cast your pearls before swines. You will waste your time. You'll get frustrated. And who knows? They may have a negative effect on your faith. But go with those who are yielding to the Holy Spirit those who are yielding to what God's trying to do in them and for them, what he's trying to reveal to them, yield to that. And unfortunately, for years and years and years, I've seen a lot of people that just don't yield. Uh, You know, I've been in ministry 27, almost 28 years now. 
and I've been frustrated in ministry for about 27 or 28 years now. You see, when God called me to be a pastor, uh, and when I was still in the army, you know, back in 1986 is when God first revealed to me that he wanted me to be a pastor. I was an alcoholic. I didn't want to do it. I, I debated God on it, and basically at the end of those four days of him persistently calling me, I just slapped the door shut and said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to yield to you. I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do because I still hold you accountable for all the pain and suffering I've endured in my life. I am not going to serve you. I'm not going to love you. I'm not going to embrace you. I just won't do it. And so for five years, God let me have my own way until it got so miserable and so so ridiculous that I had no other option but to crawl back in through the door and ask for a second glimpse. But when he called me to be a pastor, he gave me a vision of a revival. And I really thought that I should have been an evangelist. I thought that's what God wanted me to be, but I was in a United Methodist Church in Belleville, Illinois, that was a very godly, Christ-centered church, biblically founded church, and, and I loved it, and I, and I believed that I needed to be a pastor, even though, because I was convinced I can be a pastor and an evangelist. That's a good thing, right? Because if you're not a pastoral evangelist, you're a pastoral chaplain, meaning you just take care of the flock. I'm not gifted in the area of just being a flock caretaker. I like to find the, the one that's missing. I like to go after those. I like to get the wounded ones, the broken ones, bring them in and let God clean them up and then see the attributes of what God can do in a broken life. I love that part. But God showed me that that was what the ministry was going to be, was one of like a revival. And so I have been patiently waiting and waiting and waiting to see this come to fruition. Now, understand, God's just not going to say, okay, ready, here it goes. There it is. Because you have to work at it. The best things in life are not things that he just gives to you. You have to do something for it. Your salvation is, is contingent upon you saying, I confess, I repent, I receive. You have to do something. And when you do that simple thing, the, the, the power of, of of salvation comes into you and you're a new creation died to the old person alive in the new Christ. And and the same is true of revival. It's just not going to happen. I mean, I've studied revival history. I've studied it. Not one revival movement has ever happened because of accident. They all come on the heels of this huge prayer effort and this huge amount of yielding to God. So why did I not see it earlier? Why has it not come to fruition yet? Because I didn't yield to God. I didn't do the necessary work. I didn't pray like I was supposed to pray. I didn't study the scriptures like I was supposed to study. I didn't do the things he was calling me to do. I was just skating by. I just did the bare minimum because really, I mean, this is not because the seminary, but this is because this is how I was taught. You know, just take care of your sheep. That's all you got to do. Just take care of your sheep. So the the point is, and by the way, we're going to be going to 1 John chapter 1 in a minute. The point is, is that there was parts of me that did not yield to God. And now that I look back at it, I have to figure out why was I doing that. And one is because of fear. 
One is because of fear, because I was afraid of what it would look like, what it would cost, what it would take, how to maintain it, if I'm adequate enough to, to serve in this capacity, to help facilitate it, and then to keep it going. So fear was a dominant uh, role, played a dominant role. Another thing that played a dominant role was ignorance. Ignorance, just blatant ignorance. Because I did not study the scriptures myself, I, relay, I relied on the teaching of people who were also ignorant. And so I was taught things that just didn't mesh with scripture. It just didn't make sense. I was taught that anything of the Holy Spirit was to be avoided because it just, it just leads into sensationalism, uh, radical emotionalism, and just avoid it at all costs. Just stay away from it. Fear the Holy Spirit. Well, isn't that the source of our power? Isn't that the source of our strength? How am I going to know how to make a decision, how even to preach on a particular topic on Sunday morning if I don't yield to the Holy Spirit? But I was taught to be afraid of it. I was taught not to rock the boat and not to talk about those issues that would hurt somebody's feelings or would arouse some kind of a negative response. Oh, I could tell you, I could tell you things I was taught that'll blow your mind. Like, don't ever talk about the Trinity, God the Father, Holy Spirit, Son. Don't, don't think about the Trinity like that. You think of it as creator, redeemer, sustainer. That way it takes the masculinity out of the Trinity because we don't want to be offensive to those who have been violated by men in their past and have a negative attitude towards males. And so the scriptures have actually, or some of the hymns actually took the word blood out of the hymns because the blood is offensive to people. I could go on and on and on about the things I was taught. And, and, and so I was taught just to be safe, play it safe, play it safe. But there comes a point where you can't play it safe anymore. Now here's, here's the part that, that, that I struggle with and have struggled with. God reveals himself through creation. He reveals himself through his son, Jesus. He reveals himself through the scriptures. And of course, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity is bearing witness to the fact that there is a God. He loves you. He wants to have fellowship and relationship with you. So all of that is very true. But here's the last ingredient. He reveals himself through the church, through his children. Through your testimonies, through your witness, through your lifestyle, he bears witness to himself. And every time we screw up and do something that's really stupid, the world looks at us and says, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I don't want anything to do with it. But that's the revelation to the lost people of this world. The divorce rate in the church is just as high as it is outside of the church. And I'm guilty of that. We hate people. We call ourselves Christians. We love some, but we hate others. We don't forgive like we're supposed to. We don't serve like we're supposed to. We don't give like we're supposed to. And the whole time, the, the, the world's looking at us thinking, wow, the church is messed up. And if that's the revelation of God, then maybe I need to question whether or not God really exists. So listen to this passage in 1 John. I use this passage a lot just because I think this is a perfect structure for us that want to testify about God and to, and to witness to the world as to what God has done in our lives. I use this all the time. So in 1 John chapter 1, it says, That which was from the beginning, 
which we have heard with our ears, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, and we testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So I was journaling this week, and I said, all right, Lord, just tell me something that's going to help me in regards to youth ministry, in regards to personal issues, in regards to whatever it is you want to talk to me about. I'm going to yield to you, take me to a passage of Scripture, and just start talking to me. And so I started this with this passage expecting that I was going to write about the second half of the, of the chapter, but I didn't get that far. So I started writing, and I started writing. I got up to like three pages just on these four verses. And I'm like, God, I've, I've talked about this so many times. Why, why this? And God just kept saying, read it again, read it again, read it again. We are supposed to go into the world and tell the people who don't know God what we've heard, what we've seen, what we've touched. This is our testimony. We make it so complicated. We like, well, if I, would, I would share Jesus with my neighbor, but I really don't know what to say. I don't know my theology. I don't know all of this stuff. I don't know the Bible well. I don't know what to say to people. And I always say, you just keep it simple. Tell them what you know for a fact. I was blind and now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. That's your testimony if that's all there is to it. But this is something we can all do. What have you seen? What have you seen in the church? Testify to it. What have you heard in the church? Testimonies of other people. Share that with people. What have you physically touched with your own hands? What have you perceived? That's the the Greek word for this. What have you perceived? Tell people what you've seen, heard, and touched. That will sway them. That will sway them. And so God was telling me, when it comes to does God exist, this is my testimony to you, okay? This is just a brief snippet of what is going on, but a little bit of what I think I need to share with you. First, that which I've heard. Now, last Sunday, I told you, uh, with fear in my eyes and fear in my heart, I told you about an experience I had two weeks ago that has radically changed me. Whatever terminology you want to call it, it's up to you, but I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I was, had my wife with me at the time, and we were given this prayer language that we've never had, but I've always been intrigued with, I've always wanted it, but yet in the back of my mind, I was always taught it was demonic and to stay away from it. It just divides churches, it, it makes people angry, so don't even, don't even talk about it. But yet, it came to me. And when it came to me, I heard these things coming out of my mouth that I've never heard before. And it was pleasant. And it was, it was, it was challenging. And it was confirming. And, and I feel as, as I did it, I was getting stronger. It was a weird thing. I don't know how to explain it, but it was just weird. But I heard it. And then when we prayed for Paige, she started doing it. And I heard it in her. And it was different, but yet kind of similar. And, and it was intriguing. You know what else I've heard in the last week or so? I've heard the sound of six or seven demon spirits coming out of people. Some of them come out roaring and screaming, and some of them just come out with like a little change and a little palpitation in their breath. But I've heard it. I've heard it. 
And every time I hear it, I think that's God. God is doing this. God is doing something I've never seen before, never heard before, never touched before. God's doing something. And this past Monday, one of those unclean spirits came out of me. Now, how do you make sense of that one? Preacher for 27 years, Christian since I was nine. How in the world does a spirit come out of me? I mean, I know how it comes out, but it gets there because I didn't yield to the Holy Spirit. I didn't do what I was supposed to be doing as a believer. What have I seen happen in the last week or so? I've seen four people healed. One person healed of an addiction to smoking. I have seen that happen. I've seen the change in people. I've seen them stand up and jump on their foot, their leg, and they said, pain's gone. How does that happen? Well, Scripture said that that's what we're supposed to be doing. Luke 10 says this is our, our witness to the world. We're supposed to go out casting out demons, healing the sick, imparting the Holy Spirit on people. We're supposed to be doing things that are just beyond our ability so that the world may know there is a God. And it removes all doubt. I've seen it. I prayed for people, and, and here this is a, a weird kind of connection. But when I was a hospice chaplain, one of the things when you could tell when a person was close to the end, their feet would turn cold, and then the coldness would go up from their feet all the way up into their body. And you could kind of monitor how much time they have left by how quickly that coldness is moving through the body. But what I've seen in the last week or so, I've seen the Holy Spirit come upon people and a warmth will start with their heads and work their way all the way down to their feet. I've seen it. I've seen it. And the person will go from intensity to just complete and total relax. I'm telling you, if that, that alone, that look of complete and total peace that I have seen in people as the Holy Spirit has swept through their bodies, that alone is a motivator for me. And I want to see that peace come into every single person, and I don't see it. I see intensity. I see frustration. I see anger. I see resentfulness, bitterness. I see hatred. I see all of this stuff in people. But I want to see this peace sweep through them like a fire because I know what it means to their spirit, to their heart. It changes them. I've touched people. I've touched people as they were healed. I've touched people as, as the Holy Spirit worked upon them and they were given this prayer language. How does that happen? This, this stupid man, this giant from southern Missouri who is like, Borderline obese. Okay, I'm beyond the obese line. But, but this guy who's nobody, who's nothing, but yet with, with God, in God's hands, I can, I can impart the Holy Spirit on other people and their lives will be transformed. I can lay hands on people and see their physical bodies healed and to see spirits cast out of them. I've seen it. I've heard it. I testified to it. All of this in the last two weeks. For the last 27 years of ministry, nothing. Nothing. But in the last two weeks, everything. It's been crazy. Crazy. But this is what I testify to you. And why do I testify that? It's built here in the scriptures. Two reasons why I tell you this. Because, believe me, I'd rather just hide it from all of you. 
I'd rather just hide it because it makes it uncomfortable. Because I know a lot of you aren't there. A lot of you don't believe this. A lot of you are, are skeptics, but it's okay. But here's the two reasons. One, so that you also may have fellowship with us. I want you to share with what we have, what we've seen, what we've heard. Why? Because it brings peace into your life, but it also strengthens you. It builds you up, and it builds up your confidence that God is with you. Secondly, in verse 4, we write this to make our joy complete. It brings me joy to see Scott Green transformed, to see Jan Rathburn transformed, and many others. It's amazing that God would do that and that God can do that. It's amazing. And then as I go back and I read the scriptures and I'm studying scriptures, does this make sense? How does it, where does this fit? Where is this coming from? I'm, I'm learning, and God's like, it's been here all along, but you didn't take the time to read it. You didn't yield to me. You didn't trust me. But, but here's, here's the real reason I'm, I'm sharing this. I'm not the real reason, but an additional reason. This is the real motivator. Revival's coming. He's shown it to me. He's doing it. This is contagious. People want this kind of faith in God. They want this kind of relationship with our creator. They want this. And people are begging for this. But nobody's been talking about it. Nobody's been teaching it. Nobody's been giving it. This is like the easiest thing in the world, and it's the most incredible thing in the world, just to see people stepping out of their comfort zone and saying, you know what? It's time that I start yielding to the Holy Spirit. All of this bears witness to me that there is a God in this world. I have no doubt in my mortal mind, my spiritual mind, In my crazy mind, I have no doubt there is a God in this world. He loves me. He has a plan for me. He loves you. He has a plan for you. And he's just getting started if if you will yield to him. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for loving us so much that you would be this patient with us for loving us so much that you would entrust your most prized possession, your only son, to a people like us. That you would send your Holy Spirit to comfort us, but to lead us, to strengthen us, to convict us, to build us up so that we can serve you better in this crazy world. Thank you, Father, for everyone who is here today. I don't believe there's one person here by accident. I believe you're in hot pursuit of us for something. May you help us to yield to you, just to love you enough to trust you and to yield to your spirit. Please come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we we sing.
Spirit, Shekinah glory come, Shekinah glory come. Awesome, thank you. I don't know if you remember, but uh, when we did the study on Shekinah glory, that in the book of Exodus, the Shekinah glory was the full presence of God that would swallow the top of the mountain when Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments. So that Shekinah glory just kind of completely swallowed him whole. And so when we sing this song, that's the imagery that I pray for, is that he will just fill this room with his love and grace like you've never felt, so that you can find that healing touch in him that you need, that we all need. And so he, he, he just never disappoints, never disappoints. But anyway, let's pray, okay? Father, I pray that you'll lead us our separate ways as your spirit continues to strengthen us and guide us and love us. And I pray, Lord, that you'll continue to open our eyes. We need your help. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.